Welcome to the Drew and Luke podcast where I, Andy Luke, your host, take you through comics, films, TV and books that I love. But this month I fancied another light version. So I'm going to give you something already done and a bit heavier. Sociological fiction, political narratives. What is it? How to write it? How not to write it? And the opportunities that it offers, which are incredible. Um, but first, just a thank you to patreon.com forward slash Andy Luke and the people there who uh, give of their time and their money to make my art go a little bit further. And they're the ones to thank for this podcast, as well as my affiliate uh, nerdgeist.com, uh, produced by the awesome Dave Cromie. And if you want to support what you're about to hear, check out my new poetry collection just out. It's called Chaos Magic. And you can find that on Amazon and on Kindle. So what you're going to hear today is my presentation given at the Scribes and Scribblers convention on Discord on February 28th. And without further ado, I hope you like this talk on sociological fiction and political narrative. We'll begin with a detailed introduction to sociological fiction and then a breather um, where I will tell you how I have approached writing it. In the second half, I'll return to examining what it is, how it can be used with personal and public politics and why I believe the form is a wonderful opportunity to tell new stories. There will also be a bibliography given out afterwards for those of you who want to read around the uh, things I will be talking about. So, um, for those new to this area, sociology is the science of society. It covers growth, development, economic situations, and the way humans interact with one another. Sociological narrative or social fiction is broadly defined as fiction based on social research and social issues. Of course, social issues in writing are not new. Even Friends has sociological elements to it, but it's not sociological fiction. Game of Thrones is probably the easiest example of what it is. Uh, there's a very good article by Zeynep Tufeki in Scientific American which talks about this. Tufeki describes two broad types of stories. Until recently, the predominant form is the individualistic and psychological stories, Spider-Man, Friends, Breaking Bad. They're primarily concerned with the feels and the thinks, with character as a guiding force, weaving a plot or reacting to it. There isn't any good story overlap between the psychological and the sociological. They're not mutually exclusive. In social orientated tales, you'll see multifaceted aspects of society, including locations and institutions and how characters evolve in response to those. They often do away with the old tropes of character, the hero, villain, anti-hero, the jock, the prom queen, the geek. And that's because in reading characters facing institutions, we understand them in different ways. They're not just a toxic fan. They're a toxic fan because the job at insert crappy media website here made them so. 
Social fiction looks at how characters embrace the norms of institutions. Often a paycheck will depend on staying silent or following the company line. A character, much like yourself and myself, will obey the bosses or serve the customers. Social fiction explores those traits and how they inform the character beyond a specific location. Game of Thrones opening credits show us a rolling map so we get a strong hint straight away that this isn't about people but the rise and fall of civilizations and um, social locations. To broaden the subject, I thought it'd be interesting to read the contents page of a common sociology textbook. Detailed study of these areas is promising when it comes to world building. Poverty, crime and deviance, religion, sex and gender, race, ethnicity, nationality, education, work and unemployment, leisure households, government, bureaucracy, social stratification or movement within the social classes. Whew. That's a lot. That's a lot of burden on a writer. As I said, it's nothing new, uh, but it is the way the trend is going. And to counter the heavy list I just read out, I thought I'd assemble a lighter list of stories doing this. As social fiction concerns the individual's relation to society, typically there's a wider range of characters too. The Wire is probably the best example, but there's much, much more. So for easy reference, consider Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, James Roberts and Co's Transformers, series, uh, uh, a bizarrely amazing classic, um, The Simpsons, Isaac Asimov's Foundation series, books by Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, and utopian author Robert Llewellyn. In all these examples, character behaviour stems from external forces and strongly direct their inner lives. You could perhaps add Babylon 5 to that list, wonderfully broad in seeking to represent various species, though locked in to focus on those at the top of the command and political classes. In social fiction, the story moves on where the character don't. The Stark family, Michael Garibaldi, Jimmy McNulty. Like Game of Thrones, Babylon 5 explores the isolation of rulers and their destructive tendencies, spurred on by sycophants. Personalities dominate in our current high-tech social media age. As writers of stories about individuals, we have to take responsibility for that. The psychological or internal yarn has not equipped us to understand much of social change or to react to it. In pure escapism, they cover or obscure the foundations, the causes and the effects of our problems, character stories, in micro societies have left their mark on us. Coming from a culture where we tell tales this way, it becomes more difficult to write stories about why and how societies stagnate and develop. To get out of the deep end of the pool, we're looking for patterns manifesting. We're wanting to see how systems interconnect and break down how groups are affected by micro societies uh, and macro societies. Fortunately, 
we've just come through the first generation of the domestic information age. It's fairly easy to round up a sample study of oblivious participants using social media and seeing how they interact with the world around them. We're also from a generation of the HBO series, The Wire, a 95% pure sociological narrative. I expect many here are familiar with it, but just in case, I'll, I'll give an overview. The Wire is about Baltimore, Maryland. It was created by a journalist and a cop and employed as writers a number of social realist novelists and social researchers. The Wire is a story of every city, an analysis of a system that shapes it with intricate and interwoven storylines dramatising the interaction between individual aspirations and institutional dynamics. Over five seasons it broke down everything on that list of sociology topics by examining a different aspect each season. The media, the schools, City Hall. The first season examined the police and disaffected black males in the drug trade. And the second moved to the port white dock workers, labour relations and immoral elites. And this first jump was so contrasting it initially seemed like an entirely new show. New characters, locations, issues, institutions. Creators Simon and Burns broke down their social fiction, carefully biting off only a bit at a time. That's rule one, particularly for the generalists in the audience. Writing social fiction off social research can swallow you whole, one step at a time. It helps that The Wire has an acutely aware funny bone and rich characters too. Tom Brooks of the London School of Economics broke down a descriptive language in The Wire, some points which are worth bearing in mind for your own show and tell. Ethnographic Roots the series makes use of classic ethnographic studies on poverty, crime, race and ethnicity. Its very large cast are at least three quarters black and locals overwhelmingly. Growing up in a part of Ireland where I have, that's got, um, we have here a minuscule ethnic population and I hadn't appreciated just how marginal my perspective was. So let's all try to be a bit more inclusive. Tactile optics, visually thick description and focus, heroin caps, dollar bills changing hands, public telephones, lit cigarettes, combining content and form for artistic language that comes up again and again. The themes are both specific and general, mainly the conflict between idealism and violence. It could be LA, it could be London. Here you can tap into the ambiguity of multiple meanings when someone reads our work and makes stories universal and intimate. Relational ontology, simply put, in the wire the actions of the richest affect the lives of the poorest. City Hall's compromises on budget and policy affect the classrooms and street police. Impoverished neighbourhoods are not isolated, they are integrated. 
And the wire doesn't ask about moral absolutes, the good or the bad, but how morality is conditioned by this social context. Social reproduction. How people in structures, systems and institutions are reproduced. Remember, the story moves on. Sociological stories are more about continuity than resolution. That's true of their endings too. People are disposable and their roles are filled. The system, whether it is drugs or church, continues. And how we take our resources based on our class. So it's not only about what culture that we take in, but how we take it. So there's a lot to process in this area. Um, and listening to Matthew Goodwin earlier, um, think of it as world building if you're um, finding it a bit difficult. But if it'll make you easier, make it easier for you. I want to tell you about my own experiences writing social fiction. Um, Occupied is published later this year. It's a realist black comedy about the Occupy activist camp in Belfast. I describe it to friends as mash for the anonymous generation. So, like many places, Belfast congregated campers, visitors, celebrities and trolls, and people with lofty ambitions of justice. Though small in profile, they give food, training and social support. And the characters become a sort of family amid the mud, snow, insomnia and paranoia. Occupied as a story concerned with politics, in which characters seek to maintain a new micro-society. We see how they live, sleep, eat, clean. There are weekly demos and carnivals of resistance and a nightly town hall type meeting. In writing it, I used my own first-hand experience of hanging around the Occupy Belfast camp. I used interviews with friends there. I made use of news and weather reports from 2011 to inform the plot and characters, and as part of the research, I was able to tear down common myths perpetuated by the media around crime, employment and homelessness. It has a varied spectrum of characters, anarchists, students, manual labourers, clerks, media people, activists from a secure class or white cis background, and activists formed from a life of hard labour and mistreatment. And they each have different relationships with local businesses, the police, politicians, the church, education centres. The relationships change, but mostly the institutions remain fixed with only we deviations in policy. Small deviations in policy. The experience and interview aspects of planning were the most fun and most useful. I've got a faulty long-term memory and talking to fellow ex-campers reminded me of how we spent most of our time. Most of it was talking. We sat barely under the rain around a metal bin blowing flames and smoke at us and we told each other stories. Did we disrupt Parliament? Take down the man? Nah. We spent our time talking about a head-to-head -head between the Millennium Falcon and the White Star. We talked about nationalising Kentucky Fried Chicken and which of us would handle which jobs there. Through talking to these people I heard a really funny story 
about how Justin Bieber almost inadvertently shut down the camp. His appearance in Belfast during the MTV Awards was heralded by very loud fireworks which were misinterpreted as a bomb. Institutions and people, you can bet I used that. Um, but I thought it might humble me to tell you just how badly I went about writing this future classic. And maybe you can learn from my mistakes. The direction of the plot, for want of a better word, I cribbed from real-world events. Social research, check. But I researched hard, focusing on particular events in history. When it came time to incorporate those, I was constantly checking and rechecking details. When I should have been embracing the flow of my writing, the hard focus in my world-building got in the way. That error became compounded when I realised my focus should have been wide and taking in the institutions that people came from to the central location of the campsite rather than just those institutions they lived among and against as part of an institution themselves. Foresight is a wonderful thing. A writing assistant would have been nice. For overcoming blocks in the flows of writing some suggest uh, experience with Scrivener. I could have went with a room dedicated to working in with the walls plastered in visual aids. Mistake number two. The sociological style's signature broad range of characters did not mean I had to equate this with deep depth of characters. In planning, I went overboard with long biographies full of traits and quirks and multiple dialogue scenes. 85% of it went unused. I also had a problem in keeping the central location open. So with the characters broadly sharing the same politics and motives for being there, I constantly risked setting up an echo chamber. So I suggest don't overplan your characters. Give them some room to take on new features as you write. Know who they are, but know they'll change. Stories are designed in the image of us. We grow and society grows organically. You can lay down foundations and structure, but the words you create, like the one outside your window, is not a fixed point. You are not in control. As your story improves, it goes beyond you. Rather than instituting characters, perhaps if I'd put my time writing the character of institutions, who knows? Tell me when you do that, how it works out. The agent. Shortly after my third draft, I won a competition. The prize was a one hour phone call with an agent from prestigious London literary firm, uh, Green and Heaton. The agent would read my first three chapters and provide feedback. Literary agents, it turns out, do not like you to pitch them a series with 20 main characters. Who'd have thunk it? The agent's advice here is worth noting when it comes to building your social fiction. Start small. Don't overwhelm the reader. Episode 1 of The Wire is essentially just the stories of Jimmy McNulty and D'Angelo Barksdale. The Simpsons began with just The Simpsons, with few of Springfield's other, I, I don't know how many residents around. 
Hook your reader with a slim character base and pick your moment to move around. The 20 main characters? You might get away with that lotto in comics or TV. Incidentally, two mediums occupied was initially developed for. In fact, the agent wanted one character to remain the focus. And I've heard the same thing from a commercial author, brand and merchandise one character. Well, I wasn't having any of that. The subject matter informs the content. This is a story about people trying to live in solidarity with a lack of privacy and no leaders. It was always about the ensemble, the group. So annoyingly, both the agent and I were right. Effectively taking critical feedback is knowing when to follow it and when to chuck it in the trash. Stand your ground and cheat on received wisdom. My first response was to push that focus on the group. No main character, but six main characters? Sure. So every scene bar one features one of those characters. Others were made composites. Others were moved further to the background. And both of those decisions had positive and neg negative ramifications. And I kept my other 13 characters by drawing them in as satellites. Bob is orbited by Galway, John and Tommy. Patrick has a sidekick in Fred. Another issue the agent had was with the episodic nature of some of my text, suggesting I cut this back. I don't know why, but there is a tendency in prose for publishers to recoil from that episodic style. Anyway, that seemed fair. As I said earlier, the stories go on even when the characters don't. However, putting it before a trusted review group, they found chapters nebulous and wandering without intent. Their favourites were the pieces which had self-containment bottle episodes with tight-ended structure. The comedy worked best when I took the narrative of the fantastical, otherworldly or stories within stories. And this goes to show that conflicting advice happens. Different readers read different things in the text. In the same text, no matter our intent, the traditional psychological and new sociological forms are not mutually exclusive. They overlap. Indeed, lines already do blur between fiction and non-fiction. How could they not? For us as writers, the intersection between the two is a medium. It's my opinion we're still understanding how media affects us as a society. Be it Harry Potter, or the BBC, or My Little Pony. In Laws of Media, 1988, Marshall McLuhan proposed ways to understand about how the forms we read, watch, listen and write in alters us. He called it the Tetrad. Four areas to examine. Media reverses, closer to its psychological-like forms. Media obsoletes what came before it. Media enhances, it retrieves. Much of what we know is true and the ways in which we tell our truths go through a medium or the plural media and is reconstructed in the process. I am communicating to you now through a mediatized form. 
students of media writing after McLuhan in the internet age have expanded upon his thoughts on this. Errol Isaac Media extends human communication and interactions. Media substitutes existing forms of face-to-face -face communications. Media and existing communications amalgamate with one another. Social actors and institutions may accommodate towards the logic of the media. There are perils in writing only psychology. We're not to blame. This is our culture. David Simon talks about how individualistic or internal writing has pervaded journalism in the modern Baltimore Sun, where shiny awards take precedence over integrity. Surround a simple outrage. Step two, over-report it. Step three, claim credit for breaking the story. Step four, make sure you find a villain. Step five, claim you affected change as a result of your coverage. When I read that, I felt I could relate because this is exactly how most of the news media behaves. And these are the hacks we're expected to draw our social research and our story from. And I also felt guilty, not because I've behaved like this as a journalist, but because I've written fiction just like this. It's fiction, sure, but it informs. Traditional populist stories undermine our social understanding by reducing it to unpredictable, capricious, transparent people. In effect, othering. Let's not beat ourselves up though. Because we do not have an exclusive on storytelling. It's a practice as old as humankind. It's more in vogue now than ever. The obvious one is marketing and advertising. You have to tell your product story. Tell your story. Instagram, Facebook, story, story, story. Oh, sod off. Any other writers feel like this? And that's the way it is. Governments, healthcare, everyone has to tell their story. And this is a good thing too. Sociologists like Patricia Levy, they admit to it. After all the observation and interviews, they cherry pick quotes and anecdotes for journals. They decide what best represents their theme, gender, age, motivation, feelings, and their take on the substances of issue. This is a, <clears throat> excuse me. This is a part of the psychological baggage you might face when setting out writing social fiction. There are upshots, however. Our psychology culture lets us represent interiority of character to sensitively portray lived-in experiences. When we write about what a character is thinking and feeling, we're really building empathy with the reader. We are causing social reflection. We're exercising sensitivity to a lived-in experience. And if readers read our stories differently from how we intended them, perhaps that's a good thing too. 
there's something non-authoritarian about that. If we throw in our sociological imagination, even better. Thinking and planning in this way makes us more likely to write links between the macro and the micro. Social fiction lets us get the personal biographies and their social historical context. In this intersection, this blurry intersection, we may write about society as inward and outward. How a character sees things in critical terms, their critical actions, and how they or we best understand our society by understanding ourselves. These are, after all, our inner personal operating units. What happens when we set out to tell stories about contexts and longer term processes? I think that when we get closer to the outer stories, we find ourselves in a nexus point or myriad network of interaction in a woven together wire tapestry. Sometimes it boggles and noodles. However, we have seen social storytelling happen before and to great effect, irony is used to draw attention to hypocrisy. Activists have worked to tell old stories in new ways. And again, the wire is in part a retelling of the Greek myths. With the rise of the internet, we are seeing newer, more subversive stories that challenge the supreme hegemony of those told by Fox, McDonald's or J.K. Rowling. Fuck J.K. Rowling. In an article called The Sociology of Storytelling, leading researcher and analyst Francesca Paletta offers up some consequences of narrative sociology with examples from the 1980s. Against the backdrop of terrible social abuse suffered by AIDS victims, activists find ways to get them to share their stories. Those new then insights undoubtedly trickle down into the mass media removing persecution, taboos and disgrace. Patients' authoritative knowledge, documented in narrative, wound up with doctors and pharmacists who saw new patterns and from those breakthroughs in drug research and treatment. A similar process occurred around victims of child abuse. For a time, victims were not admitted to have their stories heard in a court of law. However, writers, taking their evidence, worked with a growing mass movement, leading to a successful reform of the law. Stories lead to positive social change. There are, of course, factors which we need on our side. We need the stories first, and for them to be visible, we need policy changes to legitimize them and legitimate them. Cause and effect. Having deep pockets sways how the message is received. The people in control, the elites you might say, have to find their way to these prime narratives. They ask themselves, which ones do I remember? Is this a suitable genre or policy? Is this story sufficiently part of the routine of our institutions? When they face off against us, sometimes we can exploit those questions. They find us placing moral urgency over technical rationality. They find us 
putting people over par. Paletta, and I have a link to her work in the downloadable, Paletta states that a story may be at the core When you're quite done, Alexa. Thank you. Um, Paletta states that a story may be, at the core, a sequence of events in order they occurred to make a point. The practice is universal, and anyone who tells a tale will consider how narratives work. They think about how other people tell stories, and they'll think about what proper stories should look like. Judges have favoured men in cases re related to reckless driving. An ex-heroin addict was ejected from a therapy group because he just recovered. His story wasn't about working very hard through obstacles to recovery. It wasn't what they wanted to hear. How we tell stories is all about when we do it and how we do it, and that they subscribe to the right beliefs of what stories are good for. Stories have norms. The boring old crap happens, and we need to be unafraid about telling it to a wider audience. That boring old crap is like a compost heap. It stinks, it's ugly, and we can use it to grow remarkable things. So think about society. Replace your anger and disappointment with reflection. The people in this room, even the ones you know operate and perform in ways which are new, they have stories the great Joseph Campbell didn't document. Trade them with each other and there will be unforeseen crossovers. I can nearly guarantee this. There are new stories. I want to close by moving away from the academic theory and philosophy and talk about the practice. Sociological stories, to quote Tefeki again in writing about Game of Thrones, are more than coin tosses. They are complex interactions with emergent consequences. The way the world actually works. They present social and political arguments through intricate and interwoven storylines, they are meta-narrative. To invoke the real-world effects of what we can do with our science magic powers, we have to take credibility seriously. We have to get to know the world, construct images, look for patterns. Patterns are part of stories. We need a change in the system to affect real change. History is gone. We can't change that. There may be no fix. There is no fix. But right when you sit down and write, put yourself into the story. Breathe it in. Breathe it out. Swim in it. Walk the streets. Fly if you must. Consider what the people in the buildings around you choose to measure and how those measurements influence their behaviour. The journey can be meaningful. In political and social complexity, you'll find yourself questioning the individual. That's okay. From Homer to Shakespeare, storytelling has always been interactive. 
we have a new heightened awareness of this. We have all manner of positive storytelling, anthropology, narrative medicine, good journalism. We can choose to take part in stories already in play by reviewing. There are transcripts of court and lecture sessions, archives of news and public forums. Be a generalist, be a specialist, mostly be balanced because it's good for you and it's good for your readers. Use the resources you have in friendships. Webcam chat and text chats like this are peaking in the COVID-19 crisis, becoming cemented as a social institution. We can't say yet if they'll be as important in the future. Don't get hot about politics. It's not a left-right spectrum. There are blends. Do think about your politics and how you put them in stories, how you perform them there. Don't worry if it seems too boring for readers. The problem in real terms is a solution in story terms. A writer will always find conflict. So don't worry and pick your battles at the time of your choosing. Ask questions and note things down. Look for patterns in the system, in all the systems, rewards, predicaments, oppression, responsibility, consequence. Look out for the structures around anniversaries and official holidays. Pick up on cultural myths and political campaigns. If you're doing all of this and you find yourself sinking, reach out and reach out and create a peer group of like minds to help you. We are explorers of time and space and we are many. Let's call ourselves socionauts. If we accept there is a society inside each of our minds as well as outside, the potential is limitless. We are adventurers of a, multi a multiverse in an important age. There are new stories. Anyone who tells you otherwise, throw out their advice, chuck it in the bin. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Raisin Bread, Describes and Scribblers Convention for having me as a guest, hosting that, and to everyone who showed up to make it an incredibly awesome experience. Um, if you would like to support my work, you a couple of ways to do that. Check out my Amazon page. I've got a wonderful new poetry collection called Chaos Magic Out. And it's wonderful because I spent 10 years putting it together. Um, loads of joy there. And patreon.com forward slash Andy Luke, where there's regular comics, poetry, short stories, novella length stuff even, and the exclusives on this podcast. And remember to check out our affiliates at nerdgeist.com. Next month, I hope to be back with another podcast, hopefully with Ian Lawler discussing the first three seasons of FX's The Shield, or another thing that I have planned. Okay, look, hey, spread the word. Share this podcast. Share the links to this podcast. That 
really means a lot. Like, share, subscribe, care, love, get angry, get upset, thumb up, thumb down, do it all. Go!